everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. This is John Ramstead. I'm here with Sandra Crawford-Williamson. And Sandra, we have uh, another amazing woman on the podcast. So I, I'm, I get to spend today in the company of two incredible ladies. <laughs> mm, aren't you lucky? Yes, I am. <laughs> Jessica, Jessica Honiger, we have. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to get to chat today. No, me too. You know, Jessica is the founder um, and co-CEO of Noonday Collection, um, which is one of the largest uh, fair trade jewelry uh, companies in the world. We're going to be talking more about what that is and why, and why it's so important for everybody listening to hear this story and how it all connects. And Jessica, we were just talking about it. You grew up in San Antonio, Texas, so you're a native I am native, yes, to San Antonio, which was such a beautiful town to grow up in. It's 80% Hispanic, and I actually grew up hearing Spanish every day, and my grandparents spoke Spanish, so I actually thought I was Mexican until the eighth grade, and my mom overheard me telling a friend, and she broke the sad news to me that I actually was primarily German, and I was devastated, but I loved growing up in sort of that bicultural city of San Antonio. Oh, that's funny. You're, honey, you're not Spanish. What? Yeah, it yeah. was bad. Yeah, do, was so bad do, do you like sauerkraut now instead of burritos? Have you have you made the switch? You know, never, never will. Tacos have my heart forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jessica, you have a long history, you know, in kind of the, you know, jewelry and fashion industry and um and uh, uh a bit of an activist and uh, but I'm going to let you share a little bit of your story and here's why this is so important and what we're going to be talking about um today and also the uh the book that you wrote uh called Imperfect Courage and this in the the it's about living a life of purpose by leaving comfort and going scared and my goodness as an entrepreneur that is you know that is that's what we need to do, but a big part of that is knowing why and connecting our our passions to our purpose and what we want to do in life and my goodness, that is something I know you've had some significant highs and lows yeah. um, and how I want to frame this up too is man there there's so much we see in the world isn't there Jessica that we just man it makes us angry, it drives us crazy. Mm-hmm. we see these problems and we want to solve it. And I think some the the best approach, in my opinion, is oftentimes the tools that God has given us yep. is really through business and using business as this vehicle to just not only drive change but free lives and create opportunities. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get there, Jessica, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about San Antonio. You're growing up. You're speaking Spanish. Uh, kind of share the journey that you went through that led you to, you know, up to that point uh, where you founded Noonday, because that that's that's an incredible story itself. Yes. So it was a journey brought with clarity. It was completely linear. I mean, I have my business degree from Harvard and I have a fashion degree from Parsons. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, you're one of the I've never met somebody who had it all laid out from day one. That's awesome. You know, I haven't met anyone like that either, but isn't it interesting that there's this perception still that success is straight and that the path to your purpose is linear. But uh, as you'll hear from my story today, it was quite circuitous and it's been a bit of a, a journey more going up and down mountains and definitely not a straight paved path. But yeah, I grew up in San Antonio and 
When I was in San Antonio, I was fortunate enough to be a part of a church that really valued uh, taking care of the vulnerable of our city. Our church building was right in downtown San Antonio, and they started the first homeless ministry in San Antonio. It's called the Sam Shelter. It's a really large homeless shelter now. And I began traveling with my church. And one of the first trips I went on was to Washington, D.C., to inner city D.C. when I was in the eighth grade. And I remember going and working alongside a church there. And we were doing a VBS in the inner city. And we stopped to a to attend a small group one night, and it was in a home for people who'd come out of addiction. They'd had 28 days of treatment, and then they'd spent about 30 days in sort of a transition home, and now they were well on their way um, to establishing community and reestablishing their lives. And I remember being on the seventh floor of this building, and this woman shared her story with us, and she began to sing Amazing Grace. And I had heard Amazing Grace sung many times, but never had I really heard it sung by someone who had really been through toils and stairs like she had. And I remember looking out the window and they had told us that we were located right in the largest open air drug market in America. And we were just two miles from the White House. And I think that's when this idea that I'd been given a lot of opportunity and that I was meant to use my opportunity to create opportunity for others really began to sink in. Um, I began to understand, wow, I come from um, privilege. I've been given a lot and it's not just to keep for myself. It's to create opportunity for others. And I remember specifically on that trip, we um, went and had lunch at a little spot. It's still there. I love going to eat there when I go to DC and it's on Harvard street. It's called Potter's house. And it is um, a bookstore and a cafe and all the people employed there have come out of homelessness. And I think that is one of the first times I really saw the power of work, the ability for work to restore the vulnerable. And a couple years after that, with that same church, I traveled with them to Kenya and I walked through the slums of Nairobi. And this was my first time to really be exposed to international poverty. And were you still in high school at that time, Jessica? Yeah, I was. Wow. I got on train really early yeah <laughs> I had a bit of a made high school a little awkward because I was like the raging activist but when I uh, was in Africa I think just walking along these these roads in this slum um, seeing five-year-olds carrying their three-year-old brothers on their back um, and it was definitely eye-opening but a really optimistic um something really optimistic stood out to me. And that was a woman there who was running this brightly colored fruit stands. And somehow the brightness of her fruit stand contrasted with the, with the dustiness of, of the slum. And we were told that she had just received a microcredit loan of, I think it was around 20 to 50 bucks. And that enabled her to open up this fruit stand and eventually run her own business, which enabled her to get out of an extremely abusive marriage and uh, create opportunity then for her five small children children. And that really also stuck with me. Isn't that amazing too, that somebody in that situation, a $50 loan allowed her to actually create something that completely changed her future. It's, it's hard in the, in the, in the West sometimes to even comprehend uh, how hungry people are for opportunity, isn't it? It is, but I find that people, that is what people are hungry for. They're hungry for opportunity 
And if we can use our opportunity just to, to create more, there's this multiplication effect that when we use our power to create more power for others, we can bring flourishing to our communities and to these communities around the world. And um, it was very life-changing for me. So I came back. I was this raging activist. I got nominated for homecoming, and I was like, refused to wear makeup. My mom was like, put on some blush, girl. But somehow... <laughs> I thought, you know, I started to disdain like, you know, people who carry designer bags or I, I remember I just began to sort of become quite judgmental, which I think is a little bit of a normal, you know, journey to go on when your eyes are first uh, being opened to the plight of the world. But thankfully, I've, I've learned that, um, you know, it's not about scorning the rich or glorifying the poor, but it really is about walking in the Holy Spirit. And God got my heart at that young age. And, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur and he actually just sold his company. He started the company he sold at age 50, which I just think is awesome. Just sold at age 75. So I was always around entrepreneurship, but I didn't have many women in my life or any woman, uh, I might say, whose path was really um, entrepreneurial, uh, mainly the, the path, the script, if, if I may, that, that was written out for me was very much um, go to college come home, find your husband, settle down, start having babies. And um, that's a beautiful script. And that was the script my mom took. And she was an amazing mom. But it, it wasn't really meant to be my story. But I had a hard time having vision for what my story could be. Um, mm. And so I, I, in college, I thought, well, I've, I've got this passion for justice. I have this heart for the poor. I, I guess maybe that means social work. So I started off in social work and then I realized, you know, I don't really like one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do social work. So yeah. not, not a good field choice for you. Not a good field choice. So I ended up majoring in Latin American studies. And after college, I went overseas with Food for the Hungry, which is a Christian relief and development organization. And I moved to South America and I helped some nurses. Okay. Cause then you think you got a heart for the poor. You got a heart for justice. Well, okay. I tried social work. Now it's on to nursing. Okay. That was not for me. Nobody wants me to be their nurse. Let me just tell you. Um, <laughs> so the next, the next route was, uh, teaching. So I, I moved to Guatemala and I actually taught, uh, there and, and I really did enjoy teaching. And I think I did start seeing education as this way to create change in the world. So, I met my husband sort of through this organization, Food for the Hungry, and we got married and we moved to Austin. That's where I went to college. And so we moved back to Austin and I started to get my master's in education, kind of with this idea that we were going to meet back overseas and education was going to be the way to change the world. Well, you don't want me teaching your children. Let's just, let's just put it that way. <laughs> I was in a third grade classroom and I'm thinking this is not meant to be. Um, but eventually we started getting into real estate and we started flipping homes. And I loved this entrepreneurial journey, sort of the risk that you take. And I love this idea of taking something that people didn't think was beautiful and turning it to, into something desirable. And that's really when my entrepreneurial journey began. But I have to say, it was a, pretty much a big flop because we we flipped houses for a couple of years and then soon enough, the Great Recession hit. And before you knew it, we were living off credit cards. 
And I like to say that courage really cornered me in that moment um, because at this point, my husband and I had two children and we had decided to bring our third child into our home through adoption. And we had really prayed and felt a strong confirmation about it. And we began working um, with Rwanda, with their government, to begin to facilitate our adoption of a little boy in an orphanage there. Um, But it's quite expensive. And right, gosh, within about two months of making this decision and moving forward is when our deals were just falling apart at the closing table and we didn't have anything on the horizon, nothing in the pipeline. And it was looking really bleak, but we knew God didn't change his mind about this little boy. And that's when courage cornered me and I could either, you know, stay seated or stand up and start something. And right around that time, some friends of mine living in Uganda they had wanted to create opportunity for some artisans in Uganda that they really believed in. And they had this talented young couple there ready to make art and make accessories, but they didn't have the people in the U.S. to create that marketplace. And they asked if I would uh, want to sell their goods. They already made a whole bunch of beautiful things, and it was just sitting in storage in in Texas. And um, at that point, I realized, okay, maybe this is my answer to being able to raise money for this adoption. So I, I drove down, I met their mom, I got all these crates of African goods, and I opened up my home, 60 women came and I realized that night that this could be more than a fundraiser, this could become a business. There was really a hole in the market at the time where there weren't a lot of fair trade brands that were actually beautiful and carried fashion forward items. And there weren't any direct sales companies that were making a social impact. And then in the fashion brand, there weren't a whole lot of brands that were being transparent about how their goods were being made. And I think the intersection of all of those three, plus this idea that um, people wanted to show up for me, people wanted to connect, people wanted to hear the stories behind these African goods, people wanted to support my adoption. And all of those things um, intersected to create this beautiful story, this brand, this business called New Day Collection, where we now impact 4,500 artisans around the world. And that impacts 20,000 family members. We have 60 employees at our Austin office. And we are uh, not in in my house anymore. We are (laughs) fully a full throttle business. And it's been an amazing journey. And I look back, you know, my life felt so random and I used to feel a lot of shame about that, about sort of sharing my story of, I tried this, I tried that. I felt like I was being perceived as someone who just didn't have it together, but I can look back on every single career I tried or business I started and see how God used simply every single thing to come to bear on New Day Collection. And I don't think God wastes anything. And that's what I like to tell listeners, no matter what season they're in, is it will be used by God as you continue to seek Him and walk in the path that you're created to walk in. Wow, what a story, Jessica. Now, I I, want to bring you back a little bit. I'm curious. So you and your husband, you have two little ones. You've been flipping homes. The market crashes. That entire rug is pulled out from underneath you. And you said that you had to choose courage. Now, this is before, um, you know, leading up to, 
finding out about all the the goods in these crates in this this warehouse that had come from from uh, Africa. You know, when you said courage, what kind of what kind of courage did you have to choose in that moment? Because I could imagine that was probably a pretty tough time. You know, I think I used to associate the word courage with heroes, with Martin Mm. Luther King, with the firefighters of 9-11, with Rosa Parks. And of course, all of those people are courageous. But I believe each one of us is called to a journey of courage. And I think what I learned is that courage wasn't about being fearless. It was about being afraid and going scared anyway and not letting those fears sideline us, the fear of failure, the fear of failing in front of others, even the fear of success. Uh, quite frankly, once I started Noonday, I, I thought, you know what, this could be wildly successful. And then I was afraid of all the responsibility that would come <laughs> from the success. And, you know, I think that fear can paralyze us or it can catalyze us. And I like to encourage people to let fear catalyze them and to not wait on some perfect moment or perfect adequacies or perfect timing or a perfect bank account, but to simply uh, move forward. And I think that's where you find your courage legs is when you start standing up and walking. That's a great, I love that example of it. Courage is not being fearless, but it's moving ahead with your fear. That's great. In fact, uh, a little birdie told me you have your first book coming out in August. And could you tell us the title and a little bit about it? Absolutely. Yes. So I love this idea. I think it's been so transforming to me to get rid of perfectionism and to get rid of this idea that fearlessness is some state I should be living for. And so I wrote a book to really encourage others in their journey. And it's called Imperfect Courage. So again, there's it's imperfect, it's messy, but we go anyway. And it really is about you know discovering a life of purpose when we decide to leave comfort and simply go scared. I um, I quote in the first chapter uh, one of my mentors, Andy Crouch. He says, you know, the only thing bubble wrap can buy, the only thing money can buy is bubble wrap. And oftentimes we use money to insulate ourselves and to create more and more comfort for ourselves. But I believe that a life is lived when we rip off that bubble wrap. And when we get to know our neighbors or we get to know people that are different from us, that think differently than us, that believe differently, that look differently than us, that when we start to believe that our lives are not just about um, acquiring comfort or accumulating comfort, but it really is about creating impact for those around us and those around the world. And it's been it's been a blast. And I think we're all called to that. You, You know, Jessica, when you talk about going scared. Um, I'm guessing, uh, here's what I'm thinking, right? You, you, you said now kind of looking back, you saw all these different things that you didn't want to share before and how they were actually coming together. Um, how did that give you, I guess, that courage to kind of move into building this, what has now become a global brand, um, you know, while being scared, what were some of those things like, you know, people listening that really want to do something significant, start a company, take that next step. But there's that one thing holding them back. You know, what would you, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that you, I I mean, I'm such a believer in experience and I think I let certain things hold me back like money. 
I went and pawned gold jewelry at a pawn shop. I literally shopped around one day, went to about three different Austin pawn shops and sold some jewelry that my grandma had gifted me uh, throughout my life. And Mm. that could have been a, a really big blocking point for me. I think that I was paralyzed by a fear of rejection and our whole business model is built on women showing up for women. And would any women show up for me? Would they actually want to purchase this jewelry? Um, Would other women open up their homes for me? Um, I was afraid that I was going to be, it was going to be me, myself and I that night at my house. And that's so uncomfortable, you know, when you're specifically putting yourself in a position to feel these feelings, this vulnerability of, of risk and of rejection. And like I said earlier, I was, I was afraid of success at the same time because I thought, gosh, if I really make this into a business, then I got to commit. And, you know, I had people now in Africa, my Jolly and Daniel, who I was talking about earlier, that young Ugandan couple, they now have a hundred full-time employees. And within the first few months of me partnering with them, they already began to hire two, three people from the streets. And so I felt the weight of that responsibility, which also can be uncomfortable. Um, I'm someone who doesn't just thrive off of, off of feeling responsible (laughs) for others. (laughs) So I think there's just so many of these places that we feel uncomfortable. And sometimes we think, Oh gosh, well, if it's uncomfortable, then maybe this is the sign that I'm going in the wrong direction. But I think we should actually follow our discomfort and see where it leads us. Well, I always say that's when we know God is working the most when we're uncomfortable, because if we're just cruising through life, feeling like everything's easy and breezy, um, how is that continuing to, to mold and develop us and get rid of the sharp edges, right? Yeah. You know, I, I tell my kids when God is filing down the sharp edges, that, that probably hurts. That's probably painful and not very uncomfortable. So we should actually lean in, lean into that feeling. Yeah. But what a great story. I mean, you've been, you know, on the cover of Austin Woman magazine. You know, you, some of your jewelry's been in Southern Living. Kathy Lee Gifford is worn one of your necklaces um, on the show, you know, on her show. And then you and your co-CEO, Travis Wilson, are the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalists. Mm -hmm. And uh, how cool is that? I mean, all these great accolades. But what I love is, you know, you've gone to Africa, South America, Central America, but you're also doing a lot for local communities right in Texas, So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I think something that we really value, Travis and I, is creating opportunity for the underserved in our community. And we have been able to employ eight refugees in Austin, um, a few from Burma and a couple from Ethiopia. And that's been really awesome for me because when I first started Noonday, I really wanted to impact our local refugee population. And there had been a group of women working with uh, some recent refugees and they were crocheting. And so I bought some crocheted earrings from them and really tried to make a go of it uh, to help them create a marketplace for their jewelry. But it was really expensive and it was really time consuming to crochet. And 
ultimately it wasn't really providing them with the stability that they wanted. Like they wanted a job with health insurance and just with stability. And it's just so cool because it's some of those first women who I used to buy earrings from that now Hella just bought her first home from the income that wow. she was able to earn from working full-time at Noonday Collection. Uh, that's awesome. It is awesome. And this summer, we have our first adult with special needs working with us. So him and his uh, coach come to the offices every day. And, you know, I think that is, we just really have a lot of passion. We believe that business can change the world. We believe that jobs, dignified work can bring dignity to, to humans and kind of recognizes the God image in each of us. And so those are some of the ways that we really used Noonday to impact our local economy. And then, of course, our whole business model is built around creating jobs for women here in America. So we have a network of social entrepreneurs that we call Noonday Collection Ambassadors. And we have around 2,000 of those women in every state across the country. And many of those women are adoptive moms, about 20%. And we, as a company, from the beginning decided to invest in adoption. I knew how hard it was for me to scrap together the money to bring my son Jack home. And so we've been able to donate almost a half a million dollars towards adoption over the last seven years um, to help families uh, bring home their forever children. Uh, that's beautiful. You know, it's, it's, you touched on a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Uh, and that is these folks that you're helping, whether they're refugees or whether you're they're in your country or whether whether they're local Texans who are um, working with you, they don't want a handout. They want the opportunity to have work that they can take pride in and that they can um, get their their feet on the ground themselves. They're not looking for. For charity and and I think as Christians we often go to church and you know we put our money in the offering plate and we put it in the bucket that says missions and you know it, it's really easy and I and I did it for years uh, to just you know write the check and then go on about our lives mm. and what I love about um you know, your work is that you're, you're not giving a handout. You're not just handing people a meal or a place to live. You're giving them the opportunity to make their own life. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is their entire communities lifted up, their entire families lifted up. And so you're not impacting just one person, you're impacting 20, 30 people in their family and then generations to come. And mm. so, you know, that type of, of impact is, it's just amazing. Uh, and so, you know, if you're out there listening, you know, let the story be inspiring to you that, you know, you, you don't have to go to Africa to, to impact someone, um, you know, give somebody a job. Mm -hmm. Give somebody, uh, you know, uh, hope, give them the opportunity to come, you know, work as an intern at your at your company or take them under your wing and mentor them, whatever it might be. You know, these folks um, that you're helping have been impacted for a long time to come because of what you're doing. And by the way, your products are amazing. Thank They're you. beautiful. I had to resist just like putting down my unlimited credit card and just saying, <laughs> give me one of everything. Well, that's uh, 
of the things that we can do, you know, is use our purchasing power for good. And I think that's what I love about our business model is that, you know, you can open your home, even dudes, dudes open their homes for beer. What I, I forget what they call them. I think beer and baubles or something like that, but, you know, open your home and invite your friends in and, and, tell people how they can use their purchasing power to create jobs in these really vulnerable communities. And I think that's, what's been really fun about this journey is, you know, yes, there are hard stories and I share some of those stories in my book, but ultimately we are creating hope and we're changing legacies. We're creating legacies of impact. Like you said, where communities that were languishing are now flourishing and it's something that we can all be a part of. Yeah, there's statistics um, that, and I'm sure you know them better than I do, but that um, indicate if you can go into an impoverished town or village and you can actually raise up one woman out of poverty, that that woman brings along many, many others, not only her family, but brings along other uh, women in the community and then education follows and then better health follows. And, and that it's a, you know, it's sort of this tidal wave, the ripple effect, right? That one drop of water eventually causes a tidal wave. Have you actually seen that firsthand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's interesting, the CEO of Gallup, who has conducted thousands and thousands, you know, that company has conducted thousands of surveys over the years. And he said, the, his primary discovery has been that what the world wants most is a good job. And when I think back to Jolly and Daniel, the original artisans that I partnered with, and when I first met her, you know, I, at first it was all by email. They would go and borrow a computer and I set up a Western Union account and I would wire them money and they didn't have any money to purchase raw materials. So I would just wire them cash and then they would go purchase the raw materials and create the jewelry and s- send it to me via uh, UPS or whatever, FedEx. I don't remember what we used back then, DHL. And when I went and visited and I was talking with her one night, I said, Jalia, what's your dream? And she said, my dream is simply to live and not die. I don't want to leave my children as orphans. Mm. And... That really struck me because certainly that has never been a dream of mine is simply to live. And now, seven years later, when you ask her what her dreams are, they've been able to purchase land and they have a farm. And their dream is to start a marriage ministry for people in their country. Their dream is to start a chicken farm. And their dream is to create jobs for hundreds more in their community. And the ripple effect there, you know, it's it's hard to even measure. I love... When I go to visit Uganda, I ask the artisans, and um, they have a texting where they text money back to the village. And that's how they kind of move money around to get it to, you know, get their nephew to go to school or get medicine for their mom's diabetes medicine. And I love asking, you know, what are you doing with your income? And it's, it's not just for them or even for their immediate family, but it is, like you said, it's, it's this ripple effect where it's being used to put the cousin through school or it's being used to bring health to their mom. And, you know, it's, it's a hundred full-time employees plus 300 additional bead rollers that they contract with throughout their community. And, 
Um, even the police said that they have seen the changes over time. They know there's no crime in the area where their workshop is and people walk to work wearing their uniform proudly. And um, they know that it's a community that shows up for one another and they really are a collaborative culture and, um, gosh, we just want to create more jobs just talking about it. I'm like, yes, no kidding. Well, you know what? Let, let's talk directly out there to, to women who are in the United States and who are part of a community. Go sign up and be an ambassador. Yes. And what an ambassador does is you host jewelry parties in your home. And then I know I saw you have sort of a a little bonus going right now. So if someone hosts a party, they get free, you know, free credit to use for jewelry. And if they sign up before July 31st, um, they get double that, right? But you have those types of programs going on all the time. So you can be an ambassador, you know, have people over, have a party, you know, make it super low pressure. You know, don't think of it as selling to your friends, but think of it as telling your friends a story. And yeah, and if you can just stand up and share the story and and just talk a little bit about it and put out the stuff and put out some snacky hors d'oeuvres and, you know, just see what happens. Don't think of it as you have to be a salesperson or or that kind of stuff. I think it's just, you know, when we draw this circle of compassion to encompass those around the world, it it really does. We just become advocates and storytellers. And, you know, the jewelry sells itself, so I'm never worried about that. And the bags and the scarves. And so, yeah, we are looking for women to open their homes. And then we're looking for women to start their own businesses as Noonday Ambassadors. You know, we have a career path. Women can uh, grow teams. And it's that's been awesome, too, just to see the impact of women here who, you know, were, were much like me in a lot of ways. Where they thought, gosh, I want to do something to change the world. I'm not meant to be a teacher or a social worker or a nurse. Like, they're attracted to this idea of business as, you know, they're attracted to this idea of entrepreneurship and Noonday's really created a career path for them. And um, it's, just, it's just so fun to do it in community. Entrepreneurship is not meant to be done alone. So we, we definitely need to rally together. You know, that that is so true. And, you know, the I think one of the biggest gifts you give everybody who's part of this entire ecosystem that you've created, Jessica, I'm just thinking about... Uh, uh, you said what was her name? Jolia, right? Who, yes. who who went from just saying, I just want to stay alive and not leave my kids as an orphan and just the journey she's been on as her as her sense of self worth, her identity, uh, you know, understanding maybe, you know what, there actually could be a, a different future, a better future, giving them hope. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are really stuck though. Um, and you're giving them a path, path forward and you have a really powerful chapter in your book about own your worth. And what would you share with people out there that maybe, maybe kind of feel stuck in maybe this, maybe this chains, chains of a false identity that are holding them back that Uh you've been able to work through to kind of free those up. What would you share for other people that might kind of be in that same spot? Yeah. Well, I remember it had been about a year of doing Noonday Collection, and I was really in a sink or swim situation where the business was really starting to take over, and I knew I needed to operationalize it. 
And I knew there were different paths to that. Would I, you know, raise money or would I be able to borrow money and hire sort of operational person? And during that time, I began to reach out and meet with different people. And one of the one of the people that I met with is was my friend Travis Wilson, who had lived in Mozambique previously and had run a microcredit loan bank there. And I was friends with his wife and I knew he had a business background and a finance background and we began to meet in the early mornings as I was just trying to bounce ideas off of him. And eventually he said, Jessica, I've been saving. My, my wife and I have been saving our whole career and uh, really have wanted to own a business. And I'm wondering if I could be business partners with you. I'm ready to go to salary free and see if we can really scale what you've started. And that for me, you know, it was one thing to kind of sell my heirloom jewelry and risk maybe my reputation. But when someone else was taking such a big risk on me, I remember that was a moment where I really, um, I felt stuck and I was so afraid that someone else was going to take this risk on me and that I was going to somehow let them down. I mean, they literally, they had three children at the time. One of them has Down syndrome and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to sacrifice this family on this altar of noonday collection. And um, I just remember praying about it one morning and asking God to speak to me. And I read the verse in Ephesians. It just flew out at me, you know, how that happens every now and then. And Mm -hmm. as you are God's workmanship created in his image to do good works, which he has prepared for you in advance. And I remember reading that that word workmanship actually means you're God's poem. You're his work of art. Like you are uniquely made in the image of God to reflect his beauty back to himself. And I took a lot of courage in that scripture. And it happened to be that very day that Travis and I were meeting with a business coach to begin hashing through if our personalities were going to mesh and if this was really going to be a good partnership. And this business coach, he looked at us midway through the meeting and he just said, you know, you are God's workmanship and you're created in his image to do good works. And this is the work that he has prepared for you. And I just remember that was all the confirmation I needed to go ahead and grab Travis's hand and let him jump off the cliff with me. And we certainly did go salary free for, you know, two to three years. And I mean, things got close and scary. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're never gonna, it's like not every person, every person dies, but not every person truly lives. And I would rather go down trying than risk not trying at all, you know? And, um, I think that when we are able to, um, receive our image bearing identity that we are in fact made in God's image, we're, we're precious to him, um, you know, that his, his original intention for us. I just love how Adam and Eve, you know, it was naming. They God said, Adam, name the animals, you know, name the plants. And from the beginning, God has wanted to partner with us to, to be his co-creators and to be his redeemers here on earth. It's such a powerful um, job that we've been given and we get to partner with him. We're not alone. I think for a lot of years and even my time as an entrepreneur, the lie was that I'm all alone in the world and no one's going to show up for me and no one's really going to be there for me. And what I've seen is as I've left that lie in the dust, I've been able to see that people do want to show up. People do want to 
um, champion me and champion this cause. And um, certainly Travis did that for me. And I'm just grateful that uh, he has a savings account again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you know, you know, as an entrepreneur in your, you know, you talk about some of these little fears that nibble at you, right? And I love the acronym, you know, false evidence appearing real. And, you, you know, as you just keep taking those small steps forward, I remember as I kind of went through my journey, and I got to tell you, it's Ephesians 2.10 that you mentioned that God brought me to. And wow. Here's what, here's what he, yeah, I, uh, I have a crazy story. I'll have to tell, tell it to you at some point, because uh, I spent um, almost two years in a, in a hospital recovering from an accident, and I was trying to figure out what's next. And I read that verse, and here's what God spoke to me in my spirit, is that, you know, hey, you are my perfect workmanship, like you said, you know, his poem. And here's what dawned on me, is that God has perfectly prepared and equipped and designed every single one of us for those works. And I think, you know, the the the... What guides us toward what those works are are those passions on our heart that you have, right? To, to help others, to lift them up, to create an opportunity, to give them self worth. And as you look at like, how do I do that? Do I start this company? Do I bring on Travis? Oh my goodness, he's he's risking everything to do this. But I think getting you know looking at ourselves from the perspective of what God sees when He looks at us. Mm. I had a huge gap between that and what I saw in the mirror. Because I let all this stuff in from the world and things that had happened over time, and it had created this gap. And that's one of the things, and in, in having some amazing friends and mentors and people in my life helped me to close that gap. And it was from that place that we were able to, to grow our, our company, which is just doing things that I, I never thought possible, probably, probably just like you, right, Jessica? And Totally. And, I, you know, I think in, you know, in God's word, oh, my gosh, it's been so encouraging and hopeful, um, but also the realization that the God of the universe who created all this, the immensity and complexity, uh, but he's, in, he's right there with us and cares about us individually with such passion and such love as much as everything else. And you're not unique. I'm not unique. Sandra's not unique. He cares about every single one of us that way. And as we find, you know, relationships, people to help us, people to not give us a handout, like you said, Sandra, but a hand up to take that next small step forward. Uh, Man, it's amazing what can just slowly happen. Like Jolia, right? She goes from just wanting to survive to now, how can she serve others? Wow, that's so powerful. Well, and Ephesians 2.10 is also my verse. And so I just started tearing up when you were just describing what it's meant to you. Um, You know, one of the things that I love about your website is you have a photo and a and a description bio story, really a beautiful story by the artisan of the artisan that actually made the item. Yeah. So I was I started reading some of those and was just blown away. And I mean, and they're very diverse. One woman was, you know, a, a married off in India at fourteen and lost her first child and, you know, was beaten. And then you have another woman in Ethiopia who was raised Christian and went to university and then, you know, driving around her hometown, saw all these teenage prostitutes and decided she wanted to help them get jobs. And, 
you have husband and wife teams in Peru who are um, learning, you know, things from their their fathers and grandfathers, and then turning around and make that business. And I love the uh, every single story on there has to do with them empowering other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even the fourteen year old, you know, the woman who was married at fourteen, even she. Um, said her purpose was to find other women like her and give them a chance. And, and and so, you know, if you're listening out there, you have got to go to this website, noondaycollection.com, and, and just go pick an item, whether it's jewelry or scarves or a bag, whatever it is, and go down and, and look at the description, and it'll tell you how it's made, where it's made and then you see the the pictures and you click on it and you see the the amazing beautiful story of the artisan and you know i i dare you to try not to be moved uh when you go and and read these i mean they're it's just they're beautiful stories so um you know if you're out there listening around the world and you have a product you have an you know you have the ability to make something and you want to impact your community uh, you know, find Jessica. If you're out there and you want to be an ambassador that's an actual stylist that goes around and sort of um, helps people put on the parties, find Jessica. If you are just wanting to host a party and just, you know, have someone, the, the stylist come in and do the party in your home and just make it a social thing for your friends, find Jessica. These products are amazing. The stories are beautiful. And uh, it definitely will make a huge impact around the world. Thank you so, so much for being here. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your passion. You're fueling me up to keep running the race and uh, so appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, Jessica, kind of as we wrap up, right, people know the website, noondaycollection.com. But what are just some final thoughts you'd like to leave with, leave with just everybody listening around the world who's just been you know, hearing our conversation? You know, I know what it's like to feel stuck. And even on my own journey, just yesterday, I mean, we're in Inc. Magazine this month in their How I Built It issue. And um, I have this book coming out and 2,000 people have already signed up just to be on my book tribe. And yet yesterday I was still finding myself comparing my success to someone else's success and was feeling Mm. like I was coming up short. And I think that we can, we have two choices. We can focus on our gaps. We can focus on what we don't have, or we can focus on what we do have. We can focus on the poem that has been written and the work that we've been given. And I say, keep your eyes uh, fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And absolutely, uh, that's how we can spend our energy creating good in the world instead of side-eyeing and comparing and uh, staying stuck and paralyzed. Wow. That is well said. That is awesome. You're awesome. Uh, God bless you. Continue to do great work. And know that we're here anytime you ever want to come back on. I love what you're doing, Jessica, you and Travis and your families and your entire organization. and, uh, And wish you all the best. And I look forward to our next conversation. I do too. We'll see you in Texas sometime. You got it. 